All right, grab a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. Acts chapter 1 and verse 12 is where you're going to be today. Uh, so I don't know if, if you're like me, uh, but every now and then I would say that I struggle with making decisions. Like not, it probably didn't seem like it. Some of you who know me are like, no, you don't struggle. I do. Like sometimes, you know, big decisions will weigh on me and I'll, I'll wrestle, you know, all day and all, sometimes all night. If I've really got something on my mind, I won't sleep. And I just wrestle with those ideas. And it, uh, I think that the Bible gives us some clear direction about how to make decisions and how to trust the Lord in the middle of those decisions that we're faced with making. My mom, years ago, it's Mother's Day, so it'd be appropriate to tell a story about my mama. Uh, when she was young, um, I actually have an, another brother that you all don't know. Well, some of you might, but most of you don't know about. His name uh, was Brandon. And um, Brandon was hydrocephalic. Cephalic. Look at me get it. I always get the L mixed up and I say cephalic. Did I say it right? No, I said it right. Whatever, I'm saying it, whatever. You know what it is. Okay, so he had water on his brain, water on his head. And uh, he was too big for the birth canal. My dad was actually faced with a pretty rough decision too. He was there in the delivery room. And as he was being born, the doctor looked at my dad and said, it's the baby or your wife. And my dad said, my wife. And so they had to relieve the pressure off of the baby's head, off of Brandon's head. And when he was born, they didn't have 3D ultrasounds back in the early 80s. And so they didn't know. And when he was born, uh, he had no skin on his stomach. It didn't develop and all his insides were coming out. And Brandon made it about four hours. About a year later, my mom got pregnant again. And so they did a blood test and they did a urine test. And they came back and they said, unfortunately, your next child... He's probably going to be the same as Brandon. He's got all the same markers. He's probably going to be hydros, hydrocephalic. He's if, if he's not that, he's probably going to be mentally handicapped. And this is what they said to my mom in 1983. They said, if you want, we can talk about terminating the pregnancy. Can you imagine, see, we're not, are you with me for a second? Like, I'm not talking about decisions of, you know, where we're going to go to eat for Mother's Day lunch. Like big life decisions that we, that we have to make. And, and we're all like, we're all raring right now, right? Like Roe v. Wade, overturn it. I'm, I'm all for it, right? I was kind of hoping we'd have some protests today, but whatever. <laughs> One day, like I heard about them. I didn't see any. So like, I'm, we're all for it, right? But, but when, you, when you just had a baby that made it four hours and was born without skin on his stomach, that, that becomes a hard decision then, doesn't it? Like, I know, I, listen, I know, like, we want to take the Christian attitude and be like, no, 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 absolutely. But that became a real hard decision for my mom, didn't it? How do you, how do you make those decisions, when those life decisions come up, your job, your family, your health, what you're supposed to do with your kids, how you're raising your family, all of those things that happen, how do you make those type of decisions and then trust that you're in God's will? Well, I hope to show you that today out of Acts chapter one, and we'll start in verse 12. Did I give you enough time to find it? All right, check this out with me. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. 
And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120. And said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field which the wage, with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that that field is called in their own language, Akel Damah, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. And let another take his office. And therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, O Lord, who know, uh, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Let's go to the Lord in prayer about this. Heavenly Father, we turn to you in Jesus' name. And Father, our hearts cry is this. My heart's cry is this right now. We just want you. We want to know you more. We want to hear from you. We want to feel your presence. Would you fill this place with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill us with your presence? Father, would you lead us? We did not come here to stay the same. We want to encounter you and we want to leave changed. Father, I pray that even in this place right now, if there's bitterness or strife or backbiting or anger, Father, if there's some sort of sin, hidden sin in the closet, something that everybody else doesn't know, but, but we do, Father, reveal it. Show it to us, change us, lead us unto yourself. Father, may we leave out of here today in a right relationship with you. Let there be nothing that's hindering that. We don't want to hinder your spirit. Father, we want to live in the spirit. We don't want to live in the flesh. We pray that you'd guide us to that in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. All right. Now, remember with me where we are in the story of, of Acts and what's happening in Acts. Remember there was a guy named Luke. Everybody shake your head. Yes. yes. Luke is writing to a guy named Theophilus. Theophilus. Yes. You got that one right? He already did this once. He wrote the gospel of Luke and he was writing to Theophilus. He is now continuing that and he is saying, hey, this is what happened in Luke, in the gospel of Luke. This is what happened. I wrote you before Theophilus and I told you all the things about the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, this burial and his resurrection and even ended with the ascension. And now he says, I'm going to tell you what happened after that. And he picks up, Luke picks up right where he left off and he's talking about the ascension of Jesus, how Jesus, remember, was caught up into the clouds 
and they were all standing there watching. And then there were two men in white apparel and they said, men, uh, men and brethren, why are you uh, gazing up into heaven? The same one who went up is going to come back in like manner, right? We all remember that. Do you remember that Jesus had given a command? That's what Luke is telling Theophilus, that Jesus had given all those disciples a command. Do you remember what that command was? To wait in Jerusalem. Why were they to wait in Jerusalem? For the power of the Holy Spirit. You're with me, right? Let's just recap. Jesus had told the disciples, stay in Jerusalem because in not many days, you're gonna receive the power of the Holy Spirit and then you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the world. Remember that? How are they going to have power? How are these 12 people or even these 120 people, how are they going to have the, the power? How are they going to have the reach in the ancient world to get all across the world? Well, they're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, to do that, I need you to wait in Jerusalem. Don't disband, wait in Jerusalem. Are you with that? Yes. Look at where we start in verse 12. Then they returned to, can you say that? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Then they returned to Jerusalem from Mount Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. There's the first thing I want to tell you, if you're struggling with making decisions, if you're saying, I don't know, maybe you've got a big decision in your life. Maybe if you don't, I can promise there's one coming. The first thing you need to know is this. We have to be obedient. The first thing you need, if you want to be secure in the decisions that you're making is to be obedient to God and what he's told you. See, here, here's what we love. I, I'm just speaking, do you want me to speak honest to you? Yes. We love to talk in big terms and we love to say big things. Lord, I would do anything for you. How much do we, Lord, I'll do anything for you. And we mean it, right? Like you'll go to Africa for him. I meant that when I was getting married, I would I have went to the, I was thinking I'm going on mission. We literally got married thinking we were going to another country to go die for the Lord but I got a good one for you. Would you be willing to be a witness for Jesus at your work right now? Like, do, you understand, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, we'll do the big thing. We like the big one. We, we love to say things like, I, I love my family so much. I would die for my family. That's great. Men, are you ready? Would you provide for them? Amen. Would you be there right now? I've heard somebody say it this way. You say you'll die for your family, but would you live for them? Will you be there right now today? Because the Bible says that the man who doesn't take care of his family is worse than an infidel. An infidel is a non-believer. That's scripture. I didn't make that up. Scripture says, if you don't take care of your family, men, you're worse than an infidel. And then you moms thought you got out of it on Mother's Day. Not a salt and light. No, no. No, no. You moms, you love your families and you love your kids and you love your husband. Will you respect him? It's true, like women, women will say, like, I love my family to death, and you do. But the Bible says that you're supposed to be submissive to your husband. And really, the way that that's supposed to happen is that you're supposed to come under that. You're supposed to do that. He's not supposed to have to stamp his foot and say, you have to be submissive. You really are supposed to do that on your own. I get it. You love him to death. Would you respect him? See, what I'm telling you is this, if you want to know about the big decisions, if you want to be confident in those, then you're going to have to be obedient in the things that God's told you. Amen. 
There's a story in the Bible. If you want to turn there, you could go ahead and turn there. And I'm going to need it on the screen because I don't have anything. I didn't have my tablet up here. So um, in, in 2 Kings chapter 5, and I think it's 13 and 14. I had y'all do it earlier. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so 2 Kings, there's a story. Let me just give, give me your attention for a second, and then we'll read that in just a moment. So in 2 Kings, there's a story of a guy named Naaman. Now, Naaman is the, he's the commander. He's the second in command to the Syrian king. Is everybody hearing that? We're not talking about Israel for a second. There's another nation. It's called Syria. And so the Syrian king had a commander who was second in command. That guy's name is Naaman. Did I lose you? Did you understand that? Naaman is the commander of the Syrian army. He is the second in command only to the king of Syria. Naaman had, had uh, gone to battle and he had won a bunch of battles and, and brought in taking up a bunch of land for the Syrian king. So the Syrian king had kept promoting him to the point that he was second in command. He, was, he had a high office, he was accomplished, but he had a problem. Naaman had leprosy. Now, if you don't understand about ancient world leprosy, that was a death sentence. What was going to happen to, Nathan, to, to Naaman was that he was, his fingernails were gonna fall off. Then his fingers were gonna fall off. His nose was going to fall off of his face. His eye sockets were going to break and fall in. Eventually, he was going to suffocate or starve to death. That was Naaman's future. Do you understand how serious that is? Naaman has leprosy. Sure, he's accomplished, but he's got leprosy. Naaman, in his battles, had beat Israel. And so he had taken a girl from Israel to be a servant for his wife. Naaman's wife has a servant. It's an Israelite girl. That Israelite girl tells Naaman, I wish I could get you back to Israel because there's a prophet in Israel who could heal you. So Naaman writes the king, tells the king. The king says, there's somebody that could heal you in Israel. He writes the king of Israel and says, I'm sending Naaman, the commander that beat you. I'm going to send him to you so that you can heal him. The Israelite king gets upset. He tears his clothes. He's all worn out about it. He's just tore up. And Elisha, the prophet says, don't stress over that. Send him here. God's going to get the glory out of this. So Naaman comes into Israel with his entourage of people, goes to Elisha. Elisha refuses to even step out of the house. He sent his own servant to go tell Naaman, go down to the Jordan River and wash seven times. That's what, that's what Elisha tells Naaman. Go wash in the river seven, doesn't even see him. Naaman got ticked. He was so mad. If you read it, I would encourage you to read the whole thing for yourself. In, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman says, I thought he would at least come out and wave his hands over me or something. That's literally what he said. He's like, I thought he would come out and like wave his hands or something, do something. Like, it should be a magic trick, right? Like come out and wave his hands. And if he's going to make me go wash like in the dirtiest of the rivers, I mean, the Jordan, it was the dirtiest of the It'd be like telling you to go bathe in the Ohio River. Friends, you go in the Ohio, you want to bathe when you get out. That's what it was like. It was go bathe in the, Ohio, in the Ohio River. Go bathe in the Jordan River seven times. Naaman got, this guy's face is going to fall in and he's not going to be able to breathe. He got so mad at the idea, he stomped away. That's what happens with Naaman. He's like, I'm, no. He was supposed to wave his hands or give me something. Look at what happened in 2 Kings chapter 5 and 13. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean. And so he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. 
Friends, are you hearing what I'm trying to say to you? We love the big, we love the big statements. What God's asking from you is simple obedience. If you want to be assured of the decisions you're making, am I in the will of God? Are you being obedient in the small things that he's asked you? That's what he wants from you. Will you be obedient to him? There's another one. Let's go back to Acts and I'll show you the next one. Look at this. I'm in Acts chapter one, verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120. There's 120 people. Are you with the story? Remember, you didn't leave this. I know we just talked about Naaman, but remember the story in Acts, Jesus ascended, two men in white said, why are you standing here? You, the same one who went up is gonna come back. And so Jesus had told them, stay in Jerusalem. Did you notice what they've done though? There's 120 people. There's all of the apostles, the 11 apostles. One of them killed himself. That's the decision they're trying to make. The decision they're making in this story is how do, who's gonna take the place of Judas who's killed himself, right? You with that? So all the disciples are together. Not only are they together, but the women are with them. That's the women who were crying and washing Jesus' feet with their hair and their tears. The mother, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's there. Even the brothers of Jesus are there. The same brothers that at one time thought Jesus was crazy. They're there. All these people are there, 120. But did you notice something? They're all together in the upper room. Jesus didn't tell them they had to all be together. He said what? Stay in Jerusalem until you receive power from the Holy Spirit. What did they all do though? Can you imagine this is, they got 10 days of this. They were in one room together. 120 people in one room. Can you imagine what that was like? It says that they continued. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to skip it, but, it, but it says that they continued if I, in prayer and in supplication. You got 120 people. You got all the apostles are there and they're praying. And can you imagine when they're having a meal and they're sharing stories about what Jesus had said over the past 40 days? Can you imagine as they're sharing stories about the miracles that they had seen Jesus do the year before and the things that he had done for them in their own lives and they're all sharing testimony and they're all sharing together. They're all in one accord together waiting. They're not upset. This isn't like before. They're not upset at his death. He's risen. He's shown that by many infallible proofs. They're together as 120 people, not mourning the death of Jesus. No, they're anticipating what Jesus is going to do next. And so they're all together. Friends, if you want to make sure you're in the will of God when you have a big decision, I need you to hear this. You need unity and fellowship. Did you hear that? Everybody in the room, did you hear that? You need unity and fellowship. You can't separate that. You can't separate yourself from the people of God and then be upset when you don't feel like you understand what to do next. Thank you. <laughs> Y'all take a, take a lead from Becky. You can say amen. <laughs> now, seriously, when, when we are around the people of God, it can give assurance to the decisions that we have to make. Let me tell you about our church. Some of you heard this. I don't care. It's still a good story. Amen. One year ago and some change, 2021, January of 2021, 50 people were in church. Are you with me on that? 50. Y'all, we didn't fill up half of this room, barely a third of this room. 50 people were in here. That's January of 2021. By Palm Sunday of 2021, we had 103. It was the first time we ever broke 100. And then Easter Sunday, 178 or 179 in this building. I started to recognize that this growth, like there was this growth happening and there were some people saying to me, oh, it's probably gonna, probably gonna shrink. And I'm going, I, I don't really know what to think. And the Lord through some other ways confirmed that it didn't seem like it was gonna shrink. And by the way, it hasn't. We just continue to keep growing. 
And so we had 103, 179, and then we just kind of fluctuated there for a while, but then we finally broke 200 and so on. And we just kept growing, we kept growing. And I was seeing this growth and I said, guys, we got to do something about this. Some of you remember this. I said, we're gonna have to do something about this. There's, there's, there's a space problem happening. And, and we're not like, we weren't advertising. We're not begging for growth. We're not trying to get people to come. They're just showing up. And the parking lot's full and the seats are full and we're gonna have to go to a second service. So we started a building fund. Are you with me? We started a building fund. Remember that? So we started a building fund and then we started looking for a building. I want you to hear this. We were not looking for, for a, a giant arena. That was not the goal. We were looking for a church building that we could go to we were only looking because we were seeing this growth happening. Are you with me? Like in my mind, we were at 125, 130, 150 people coming to church. And I'm going, guys, we've tripled. We've quadrupled. Whatever five is, we've done that one. Like quintupled? Is that, is that a word? Okay. Like we've got like... Guys, like it's just going. And I said, we're, we're, gonna have to, we're gonna have to do something. And so we find this building and it kind of just falls in our lap. And every time we go, nah, that's probably not gonna work out. The Lord just opened up another door. I don't have time to get into what all those look like right now. But if you want to come talk to me, I'll talk to you for a couple hours and I'll tell you all the stories about it. All these doors just keep opening up. And we're, it's like, well, it looks like we're supposed to go over here. Now, you want, me to be, you want me to be real with you, right? Don't be mad at me because this involves some of you in this room. Some people loved the idea of the building. Some people were mad about the idea of the building. Do you remember that? There, was two th- there were two sides of that. They were both, don't be mad. We're, we're good. We're brothers and sisters is what we do. This happens. We didn't all agree all at once, did we? You remember with me that the Sunday before we were going to vote on that, we had, an, uh, we had a contract in hand. We have to make a decision. We're either going to pursue the giant arena or we're going to look somewhere else. And at the time, our church is still less than 200 people. And you remember with me, do you remember the prayer that we had? Was it, do you remember the prayer? It, was it, Lord, help us take a big giant building? Remember the prayer was this, Lord, help us be unified. Whether yes or no, we want to be unified. As a matter of fact, do you remember with me that the Sunday before that Wednesday vote, do you remember with me that we ask everybody to fast? And on Tuesday night, we started a fast. And I remember over 150 people fasting together, praying together. Asking God for his will, what he wanted, 150 people coming together and fasting and saying, Lord, we want what you want. My own daughter, my nine-year-old at the time daughter, Phoebe, looked at me and said on Tuesday morning, I cannot wait to fast. I said, I said, Phoebe, you know, we're going to be hungry, right? Like you don't have, I wasn't making my kids do it. I said, you don't have to fast. Our youth were fasting. Our children, I'm telling you, our children's department had kids fasting, asking the Lord about our building. You can clap for that. Phoebe came to me. She said, dad, I can't wait to fast. I said, Phoebe, you know, you're going to be hungry. You know what she said? I know. (laughs) Uh, I still don't really know. Did she really know or, or not? Our kids were fasting. Everybody was fasting and we all came together. And when we voted, I just want you to stick with this. When we all voted, it was a 97, 98% yes that we were supposed to go over to that building. Now I'm telling you that for a reason. Sometimes I get in your presence, I come in the room, and sometimes y'all say this about me. Don't be mad if you're the person still. Please don't do that. Like, just stick with it. Understand the point here. Sometimes I come in the room and y'all go, here's our fearless leader. Those words, you'll say that to me. You'll say, here's our fearless leader. That's not true. I'm not your fearless leader. I'm your fearful leader. And I want you to really hear me. 
Guys, I'm, two years ago, there were 30 people in this room. Last year in January, January 2021, there were 50 people in this room. We're growing at a rate of 5 to 10% every week, consecutively. And that's a bigger number. Like 5% now is a lot bigger than 5% was. Are you with me? We're, we're seeing now between three services, 330, 340 people coming to church. Last year in January, there was 50. And I'm telling you, I regularly find myself with my stomach kind of turning over like, Ugh. I don't know, that's the best description I have. <laughs> and I think about this building and I think, oh my word. And you know what brings me comfort? Thinking of 150 people who were fasting and praying together. And I can lean on that and say, Lord, even if this whole thing fails, we ask you and we sought your will and we wanted you. Are you? You can still clap. That's okay. I got to get back. I want you to come back to Acts with me. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're looking for the will of God. They want to know they're all together in unison. They're being obedient to God. He said, stay in Jerusalem. They stayed in Jerusalem. And then they bind up together. There's, there's strength in that fellowship. Now look what happens next. So uh, come on down to verse uh, 18 with me. Uh, no, I'm sorry, verse uh, 16 with me. He says, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas. There's that guy that killed himself, Judas Iscariot. He said, this thing had to happen. Are you with me in this story? This was only a couple of months old for them. They're 40 days past this. Judas had betrayed Jesus, had betrayed, all the bro- had, had betrayed all the apostles, the brethren. And then Judas took that money, went and bought himself a field and he killed himself. He tried to hang himself. And the Bible says that he, that broke and he fell headlong and his insides bust out and no Jew was going to touch that. That's what, that's what Peter is referencing. Peter's standing up in the midst of the 120 and he says this, he said, this had to happen so that the scriptures could be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now in this, now this man purchased the field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed, gushed out and it became known to all those who dwell in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language, Akel Damah, which is the field of blood. For it is written, you see what, this is Peter talking. Peter says, this is what's written. It's written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let, uh, let another take his office. So Peter is referencing the scriptures. He is saying in Psalms, there's Psalms, Psalm 109 says, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. And Peter is interpreting that and saying, that's about Judas. Judas took that money and bought a field and he bust open it and no Jew's gonna touch that. And he says this though, you know what else it says? This is what Peter talking says, you know what else it says? let another take his office. Peter is gauging what they're doing. There's 120 people in the room and they're praying and they're offering supplication. And Peter stands up in the midst of them and says, guys, we've got to do something. Jesus picked 12 guys, but we're down to 11 because Judas killed himself. We need somebody to join into this. We need somebody to join into our, to our group. Now I got to say something. I got to give you some good theology here because there's some people that don't like that. They don't like what happened here. And I've read some commentaries and I know some, some people who are like, no, they shouldn't have done this. Well, friends, I don't read that. The Bible does not say they should not have done this. Some people say they shouldn't have done it because Paul later makes up for the 12th because he becomes an apostle. So they shouldn't have picked Matthias because Paul was going to do that. And then there's a reference. When you read those people, they always reference because there's 12 tribes in Israel. Can I just tell you something real quick? When I read that earlier this week, it's very interesting because there's actually more than 12 tribes in Israel. 
There were 12 sons, but one of those sons, Joseph, he went into Egypt and he had two kids and those two kids became the tribe. Are you with me on that? Do you remember that? And also just one more little really cool parallel. Isn't it really awesome that the Levite people, they didn't actually have any land. They were supposed to go out and help all the other people. And you've got one apostle, his name was Paul, and he didn't really have one place. He kind of went around everywhere. Isn't it kind of weird how all that lines up? You have these guys, they've got 11 guys and they go, hey, Jesus picked 12. How are we supposed to know, like, who, we need to pick somebody. So Peter says, how do I know that? Because he says in Psalm 109, let another take his office. You ready for the third one? Obedience is one. Fellowship and unity is two. If you have to make a decision for the Lord, let me give you a third one. You better be weighing that against the scripture. If you want to know what you're supposed to do, there's a way to check that. I can check it against God's word. When I was 19 years old, I got a phone call from the state of Tennessee that my one day in the future daughters, at the time they were my second cousins, they were in orphanages and foster care in Tennessee. And they said that they needed a place to go. They were calling me. They'd called several other family members before me, but then they got down by the 32nd or 38th person or something. They got to me. That's true. No, it really was that. They went through like 30 some other family members and everybody had said, no, they got to me. And so I called Sarah, my wife, and I said, Sarah, um, my cousin has gone to jail and my second cousins are in foster care and and, um, they need a place to go. And I I said, you know, they're asking us if we would take them. Before I could get the sentence out of my mouth, Sarah goes, yes, I want that type of decision-making skills. Like, (laughs) I want that. I'm like, hey, we'll think about it. But she's like, yes. Well, do you ever do this? Like I got off the phone with Sarah and then the nerves crept in and I was like, oh my, like I'm, guys, I want you to tell you, like at the time I'm 19 years old, my soon future daughter, my soon to be future daughter, she was nine. By the time I got them in, I was 20. They were, she was 10. Jennifer here was two. They were 10 and two years old. And I'm going, oh my, what did I just do? And so I called a buddy of mine and my buddy says, Justin, we were, remember, we just got married when we were 18. And he says, Justin, we don't even know if this marriage is going to last yet. That made me mad. <laughs> so then I called a, a pastor friend of mine and asked this pastor friend, I said, hey, what do you think about this? You know, I have an opportunity to take these, these girls in. And my, my friend who was a pastor, he said to me, didn't you just, didn't you just enroll in Bible college? And I said, yeah, and I had. I just enrolled in Boyce. That was my first semester in Boyce. I wasn't even there yet. I hadn't even started yet. And this is what he said to me. A pastor said this to me. He said, Justin, if you take those girls in, you will never finish Bible college or seminary. Never. For those of you who know me, that was a challenge. (laughs) Okay? But that's true. But also, this is what I said to him on the phone that day. I said, well, here's the thing. I, I was so angry. Like my friend had just told, I hope you're with me where my head was at. Like my friend had just told me that my marriage might not even last. And then I've got this pastor friend of mine who's telling me that I'm not gonna make it through Bible college if I take in a couple of girls. And I said, well, listen, I can't find any scriptures that tell me to get a piece of paper from a school to approve me to, to preach, but I certainly can find some that tell me to take care of widows and orphans. Are you with that? Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you've got a decision to make for the Lord, you ought to weigh that against his word. Yes. Peter stands up in the middle of them. He goes, guys, we got 11 people here. We're supposed to have 12. 
How do I know that? Because it says in Psalm 109, let another take his office. So look what happens. He says, therefore, these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must be a witness with us of his resurrection. So they want to pick somebody. Here's how they're going to pick them. We don't want just, remember they're in the upper room. There's 120 people. Jesus's brothers are there. They didn't say we want the person who's related to Jesus. Interesting, they didn't do that with Peter in the church later. Okay, so uh, you'll catch on to that, some of you. So, so it's not the brothers of Jesus. It's not relation to Jesus. That's not what they said. Who are they gonna pick? They want somebody who's been there since Jesus's baptism. Now, they're not talking about an apostle. Those apostles had been following Jesus. They remember all the other people had left, but only the 12 were, were left there. But what we are saying is that they were with them as in they were in one accord with them. You had had people that didn't disagree with them. The brothers of Jesus at one time thought he was crazy. They're not pick, they don't want to pick that. They want somebody who's been there the whole time, who's been for this whole thing the whole time, and they come up with two names. Here's what it says in verse 23. They proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, whose surname was Justice, let's just call him Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11. Friends, the point here is not that they cast lots. It's not to really be concerned about what they were doing to cast lots. The lots weren't anything special. What was special is that they prayed and said, Lord, here's 120 people and they've narrowed it down to two that they're gonna, one of these two guys is gonna take the spot of the 12th apostle. And they said, Lord, who do you want? You know everybody's hearts. You know the future. Who do you want from this? And they cast their lots. They had to make a decision. They cast their lots, but they were trusting not the lots, but the prayer. Friends, I want you to hear this. If you're struggling with the decision and you know they're coming, you ought to come at that with prayer. Obedience is great. Fellowship is good. Scripture is wonderful. But friends, you have a direct access to the King of Kings. He tore the the temple veil from the top to the bottom. And he said, you can come in when you have a time of need and you can ask of him. And there's even scriptures that say you don't have because you don't ask. And I'm telling you this. Are you ready to get real with Pastor Justin on a Mother's Day? Here we go. I keep, this keeps happening. And do not be mad at me if you're in the room and this has happened with you. You call me and you say, I'm struggling with, I need help with, I'm trying to decide. And I say, have you prayed about it? And you say, yes. And then I pinpoint it and I say, you mean to tell me you've actually prayed? Like you got alone in your prayer closet, you got alone in your bedroom, you shut the door, you got on your knees and you asked God about this? Uh, well, I haven't exactly done that. Friends, will you hear me for a second? Like we're talking about big major life decisions that you might have to face You don't think it would be important to get alone with God? You ready to get real? Have you grabbed hands with your spouse? Have you held the hands of your husband or your wife? Have you prayed with them, bowed your heads together? Have you asked God together? And I keep asking that. And you know what I'm told? Even by us who were in church, you know what I'm told? Well, we haven't exactly done that. Why not? Like what is holding you from going to the King of Kings who says, you can come to me and I'll answer you. You can ask me and I'll help you. You can knock and I'll open the door for you. You want to make a decision, go to him and ask him. 
My, my family business was looking to move. About 10 years ago, we, we were having trouble with our landlord and rent situation. We had to move. And we found this building. It was big enough. It was kind of run down, but it was big enough. Wasn't really in a great location, just to be completely honest, but we needed something and, and we found this, this building. And so we're praying and we're asking God and, and the doors just seemed like they were opening. The guy who owned the building was gonna owner finance the building. He was gonna carry the note for 25 years. He made the payment so small. It wasn't gonna be a problem. Like with no growth whatsoever, we would have be been able to afford that building. It would have been great. We were gonna move the family business over there. The note was perfect. The, the, the guy who owned it, he understood, like we had a great understanding. The building was gonna be ours. We would do all the maintenance. He wasn't a landlord. He wasn't charging rent. Everything was supposed to work out perfect. And then some realtor got involved. The realtor got involved. And when the realtor got involved, he told, he told the guy that owned the building, he said, why would you sell it that way? He convinced the guy to, cha to change the note to a balloon note that we had to have paid off in five years. It was gonna force our payment, our monthly, but we're a little upholstery shop and fabric store and we're gonna have a, a payment at the end of it. At the end of five years, we're gonna have a payment of $50,000 a month. There was no way we could afford it. And we told him that, we went to him, we were like, this deal's gonna fall through. We cannot do this. If you force this, we have to back out. We can't do it. Well, the realtor guy convinces him and he says, nope, sorry, out of luck. This is what we're doing. So, well, that's not the contract we gave you. That's not what you agreed to in the beginning. We tore it up. We'd been getting together every morning. We were bowing our heads in our shop, grabbing hands. Me and my family were all standing there and our, our few employees, and we were praying and asking God. We got to the point, we were thanking God about this new building we were supposed to get. And now all of a sudden, the whole thing was all tore up, and we, we were tore up about it. And now we're kind of like pouty about it. You ever get that? Like you don't get what you want and you kind of get pouty. And so we're all kind of pouty about it. We're all kind of down about the fact that we're not getting the building. What are we going to do now? Somebody in my family, I don't really remember who it was, but they said, guys, we asked the Lord about this. We prayed about this. We don't maybe know what's going on, but let's just trust that maybe he's just protecting us from something. Well, a couple of years later, guess what happened? The county jail decided to expand and they wanted part of the two acres, a good chunk of the two acres of property that that old building was sitting on. And when the guy, the, the guy who had bought the building, when he tried to tell the county no, you know what the county ended up saying? Well, that's an old gas station and we know there's pumps under there, so we don't want to have to get the EPA involved in this. And the guy ended up selling his property even though he didn't want to. Are you sticking with me for a second? I didn't see it. I couldn't see it. My family couldn't see it, but God could. Listen, if you have a decision and you want to know if you're making the right decision, ask him. He already knows it all. Now, there's one more thing I want to tell you. It's really the heart of the entire, the entire passage. All of these things, there's five things. I've given you four. Obedience, fellowship, scriptures, and prayer. But I need you to hear this. It's not a magic formula. In other words, you can't just be like, okay, I didn't break any of the commandments. Okay, great. You're like some of the Jews that came to Jesus. I've kept that from my youth. You with that? You understand what I'm saying? Like, Obedience is great. Reading the scriptures is good. Prayer is good. Fellowship is good. But that is not a guarantee. I want you to hear this. That's not like, oh, well, there's the magic formula. Now everything's easy. As a matter of fact, sometimes things are going to be really hard. I want everybody to hear this. You got to hear this. The fifth thing is this. If I look here, you know what I see? The disciples had a heart to do what God wanted. I'm asking you the same question. Do you have a heart that seeks after God's will? Like, do you want what he wants? Or do you just want what you want? And do you think if you follow these steps, you can get what you want? 
That's not how it works. God's not interested in just trying to give you what you want by making you follow this. This isn't a, a cheat code on a video game. Some of y'all are like, what's he talking about? They used to, you have to take a controller. You used to have to yes. do that. Yes. Some, of you, yes. some of y'all know. Yes. Some of y'all are like, I don't even know what he's talking about. We just buy our games. There's no, like, there's no magic formula that gets you to this. What God wants is that you have a heart after his heart. My mom and her decision about my brother in 1983, she told the doctors, absolutely not. They said, you can terminate the pregnancy. Remember my story in the beginning? They said, your brother has all the markers that Brandon had. And they said, we can terminate the pregnancy. Let's talk about terminating the pregnancy. My mom said, absolutely not. There's no way I would terminate the pregnancy. And I'm telling you this, for all intents and purposes, he's all right. <laughs> he's got some issues, but they're not that. <laughs> so... <laughs> He was here even earlier today. <laughs> How do you make that type of decision? Friends, will you just hear this? Is your heart after what God wants? Do you want what he wants? There's one thing I can guarantee of all things. I don't know your life. I don't know what you're going through, but I know this. I know this part of God's will for your life. God wants a relationship with you. He wants a working relationship with you. He doesn't just want you to believe in him. He doesn't just want you to be like, oh, I, yeah, I believe in God. That's not enough. The devil believes in God. Yes. If anybody believes in God, if anybody knows that God is there, the devil does. Yep. Demons know he's there. Knowing that God exists is not enough. Do you have a relationship with him? Because what he wants with you is a relationship with you where when there's a decision that's to be made, he's right there beside you. I'll tell you how much he wants a relationship with you. You who were estranged, and sinful, he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you. Did you let that sink in for a second? God wants a relationship with you so much that he was willing to send his only son, Jesus, to die for you. And Jesus took your sin and took your punishment and he took it to the cross and he died for you and they buried him and death couldn't hold him. Three days later, he got up out of the grave. And even today, this is what he says, you can come unto him and he'll give you eternal life. You're, who are, you're headed for death. He says, if you come unto me, I'll give you eternal life. And then he opens up the door. This is what he says. This is what Acts chapter one has been all about. He'll give you his Holy Spirit. He'll put his spirit inside of you. He'll give you a new spirit. And he promises that he'll walk with you. He says, lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. Friends, he wants a relationship with you. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? God wants something. He wants a relationship with you. Do you want what God wants? Do you want that? If you do, if you say to me right now, if you were to say, Justin, I want that. I want a relationship with this God that you've described to me. Friends, you can do it. Put your faith in Jesus. Believe in him. He died for you. He was buried. He rose. And if you believe in him, he gives you eternal life. He gives you his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit produces fruit in you of peace and joy and love and kindness and long suffering and mercy. Against those things, there's no law. Are you with me? What he wants from you is a relationship with you. And he's offered it. He's already sent his son. All you have to do is believe in him. And if you believe in him, he'll save you for all of eternity. How about we stand up on our feet? We'll go to the Lord in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we turn to you in the precious name of Jesus and we say thank you that you want a relationship with us. Thank you, Father, that when we ran from you, you pursued us. Father, thank you that when we have sinned against you, you've offered to forgive us. 
Thank you, Father, that you didn't turn your back on us when we said we didn't want you or we even cursed your name when we got angry with you. Father, thank you that you are so gracious and so merciful to us. And God, I pray that we would see that of you right now. I pray that if there's someone in this room, I am begging you, God, if there's somebody here who doesn't know you as their savior, would you draw them unto yourself even right now? God, if there's someone who's been struggling with that decision to follow you, to take up their cross and to follow you, God, would you lead them unto yourself even right now? Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We submit this time to you. We say we are yours. This is yours. We just want to be a part of whatever you're doing. And Father, in those fleshly parts of us that want something else, would you bring us back? Thank you, Lord. We love you above all things. Please take this time of invitation and do with it whatever you wish. In Jesus' name, amen.